0: find in your Bibles 1st Corinthians chapter 9 we're continuing with our series called The Call God's got a calling on your life thank you for standing as we open the word of God together we're going to look at verses 24 through 27 uh, originally I had intended to speak on uh, Ephesians chapter 5 in, in the spirit-filled life and out of Galatians before next week when I get into the spiritual gifts but Uh, I've touched on that subject so many times recently. I felt like we needed a little bit more of the application of that life because if we're not careful, we will slip into passivity and say, okay, I'm just waiting on the Spirit of God to move me to do what He's called me to do. And we forget that we still have a will. We still have a mind that God expects us to use. We have a heart that God expects us to engage with a passion for His things. And we have to make decisions. God's not going to... um, allow us to just sit idly by and all of a sudden he like uh, picking up a remote control of a robot, make us do what we're called to do. Uh, we've got some decisions to make and I think if there's a passage that reminds us of that of, of the kind of calling we have to victorious living that's the title of the message, called to victorious living. It's this passage beginning in verse 24. After Paul had spoken to the church at Corinth about being all things for all people because he wanted his life to make a difference and see people saved, he says in verse 24, do you not know that the runners in a stadium all race, that only one receives the prize? He says, run in such a way that you may win. Run to obtain. Run to win. Verse 25, now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything, however they do it, to receive a perishable crown. But we, an imperishable crown, Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one who beats the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection or bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself would not be disqualified from the prize. Father, we thank You for Your Word. I pray that now that the Spirit of God would take the truth and show us, Lord, how to live it. Move us to put it in place. Also remind us, Lord, that we... Have to make a choice every day to die to self and live to you. Pray that today, you would bring about whatever motivation, whatever life change, whatever repentance, whatever act of obedience needs to take place. You show us how to live it. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. So, mention the various graduations and uh, to Cecilia. Uh, C.J. do a good job sharing the gospel to see uh, the, one of the young ladies who's been in a Bible class here uh, at Trinity uh, share an address that, that glorified God, and, and, and even the uh, valedictorian referred to the fact that everybody's been called of God to do something, uh, to hear a couple weeks ago Jonathan and, and so many of his friends share about the next phase of life. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of little takeaways that we're at the beginning of a race when we get saved, not not the end. Uh, these students are at the beginning of a race when they graduate, not the end. If there was one takeaway of all the graduation speeches I've heard the, the past few weeks, and, and I told this young man I appreciated what he said, but if you uh, have seen the direct TV commercials, all the ones that Rob Lowe's doing now, and I don't... I don't put him before you as a character testimony by any stretch of the imagination this morning, but but have you seen all of these commercials? There was one where he says, "Don't be peaked in high school, Roblo. Anybody seen that one? Yeah, he's wearing the, uh, the the letter. He's you know older than me, of course. He's wearing his letter jacket. He's he says, "I'm still captain of the team." He's he's on the crew there working at, at, um, at whatever fast food chain he was working at, and he's wearing you know the the 80s hairstyle, forgive me if you're still wearing 80s hairstyle this morning, I haven't changed anything in the past 25 years myself, but, um, and, and, but he says, don't be peaked in high school, Roblo." And And some of us uh, have to struggle with that. As a matter of fact, one of the saddest testimonies I've heard concerning class reunions, we think this is a compliment, but, but often it's not, and that is the statement that somebody would be able to come up to you and say, you know what, you haven't changed a bit. You haven't changed a bit. Now if they're talking about because you had rock-solid character, and unbelievable maturity in high school, then that's probably a good thing to hear. But sadly, a lot of people never change. Over 5, 10, 15, 20 years, they haven't grown in their faith. They come into a church. They make a profession of faith. They begin to attend, perhaps on a regular basis. But they're not, as Peter admonished, growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Folks, there's so much more to the Christian life than just being on the team. So much more to the Christian life than just getting in the door. And many miss it. Paul had already told the church at Corinth that there would be those who were saved as by fire. Yeah? You made it into heaven, but by the skin of your teeth. Very few live a consecrated life dedicated to divine purposes. Corinth, as Paul would address this church on a couple of occasions that we have, we believe that he probably wrote to them at other times as well. But two books of the Bible that God saw under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to have placed in scriptures, we see Paul addressing this city that was a, a commercial center of its time. It was a prosperous city, it was also a, a military town. And for those of you who served in the military, I heard recently uh, some of the greatest advice will ever be given to a soldier who's serving in the military is. Uh, when you leave the base, drive at least 10 miles before you stop for anything. Because almost all those things around a military base uh, can get you into trouble, right? And so, uh, a couple of you guys are laughing about that. Um, Corinth was one of those towns. A lot to do that you could uh, get in trouble with. There were at least 12 pagan temples in Corinth. The church was struggling with carnality immaturity looking just like the people around them they were struggling with shallow faith all wanted them to know that the spirit-filled living wasn't the ability to simply be passionate well we're because we're passionate because we're enthusiastic because we're charismatic because we're exciting to be around that means we must be spiritually minded and spiritually focused and he would explain to him in chapters 12 and 14 that's not exactly the case Just because you're passionate, religious-sounding, because you're strutting your spiritual gifts for everybody to see. But you go on living like everybody else and there's no difference between you and the world. He said, that's not what the Spirit-filled life is all about. So he confronts that in this book. Paul was calling them to victorious living. So many of us that say, well, I know that I've got my fire insurance plan. i put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We stop right there. And we don't move toward victorious Christian living. For some, it's because they didn't experience genuine repentance and faith. May have walked an aisle shaking a pastor's hand, may have been baptized, may have gone through ritual, may have enjoyed being a part of a church and having their names on the church roll, but they never experienced genuine faith in Jesus Christ turning for sin and self, trusting in him alone for salvation, for others. They had experienced a genuine conversion, a genuine faith in Jesus Christ, perhaps it was the lack of disciples in their life, but they said, you know what, I'm content with that. I'm good to go. I'm okay. Now if the Spirit of God doesn't convict you in that state, then you probably didn't experience the real thing. So Paul uses an analogy from probably uh, the Isthmian games at that time, the world of sports, the, the uh, the kind of an equivalent to the ancient Olympics during that time in, in rotation there. And he calls them to a consecrated life. He uses an analogy here to describe what I call the keys to victorious Christian living. So I want to encourage some of you to write these down. Make note of, Maybe even write it in your Bible if you've got space. And ask God to help you apply this on a daily basis. Don't be... Peaked in youth group, Christian. Today, I want you to see. First of all, in this text, there's a serious determination. We call this the attitude of a champion. There's a serious determination. This this attitude of a champion. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? Only one gets the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. He's not saying here, only one of you is going to be saved. You you make sure it's you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying when it comes to the victorious Christian life, want it. Strive to win. You have to have the desire and the will to win. The determination. It's not enough to enter the race. Run to win. This morning, ask yourself, do I really want my life to count for God? Do I really want to leave a, a legacy of faith for future generations? Do I want my life to impact somebody else and make a difference in them? Do I want people to see the difference, see the victory? See that I'm trying to do something that counts for God. Do you desire to reach your full potential? I shared with a group of men I was praying with the other day, I want to reach my potential. Do You want to make a difference, leave your mark. Church, I believe there are too many of us that are satisfied with mediocrity. We come to a place in life where we say, "You know what? Good enough is good enough," and we're satisfied with living mediocre lives that make very little difference for the kingdom of God. We get caught up in, the, like they did in Corinth, we get caught up in the things of this world that don't really matter for time and eternity, and we lose our focus on the things that will make a difference in us and that will cause us for the glory of God to make a difference in our world. So I'm asking you right here, do you have the attitude of a champion? Do you have a serious determination for your life to be different from the world around you, to impact and influence others for the glory of God? Or are you satisfied with mediocrity? Colossians chapter 3 verses 23 and 24, whatever you do, do it heartily with all your heart, with all the passion you've got as unto the Lord and not to me, and knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward. And we'll talk about the reward in a moment. But are you desiring to give all of your heart to living the victorious life of a Christ follower in a world that is contrary to that? See, their, their mediocrity in Corinth had led to carnal Christianity. Some people say, you, you actually believe that... that uh, Christians can live in carnality, yes, because Paul told the church at Corinth, you're living a carnal, fleshly life. And he says, but you were all baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. So he's saying, just because you were baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, that doesn't mean you're living a consecrated life. And so he's confronting their carnality and he starts with the desire. You've got to want it. You've got to have the attitude of a champion. I remember when I was serving in Wilmington, North Carolina area, we had a student in our youth group, actually a brother and a sister. Their names were David and Shirley Anderson. And uh, they would come to church on Wednesday night and they said, look, here's the only thing. We've got a two-year-old nephew that we have to watch. And these two teenagers were really the, the leaders, both spiritually and in every way, for their whole family. And they said, we, we have to watch our nephew on Wednesday nights. Can we bring our nephew and let our nephew stay in the nursery so we can come to youth group? And we were like, yeah. And this, this, uh, these two teenagers came to faith in Christ and, and were serving the Lord. We got a tragic phone call that the, the nephew had been in a horrible accident, had, had gotten out of the home, and had Drowned. And I remember going to the home and it was one of the most devastating things I'd ever had to be a part of in ministry as this two-year-old had an aunt and uncle who were devastated by the drowning of their nephew. We ministered best we could in that situation. They continued to be a part of the church. And David, the young man, was on the high school track team there at North Brunswick High School. And they had a track meet and actually, speaking of military bases, it was at Camp Lejeune. And so we drove up, the pastor and I, we, wanted, we knew he was emotionally devastated by all that had taken place, and we said, let's drive up and uh, cheer him on at this track meet. So the pastor and I drove to Camp Lejeune, uh, went to the high school there, and, and watched David compete in these various events. And I mean every event he competed in He set his personal best record. He ran with all of his heart. He wanted to win. And and I remember one of those times where after a relay, he was able to come over to the fence and and lean on the fence and and talk to uh, our senior pastor and and I. And he said, said, you know I'm running today for my nephew. We said, yeah David, we knew that. He said, I'm running for him. Running for him. He had medals. He had finished first in a couple events and second in an event. And and he was all excited about how things had gone, but in, in tears, he said, I'm running for my nephew today. This teenage boy was setting his personal best records because someone that he loved dearly had died and he said, I'm running in their honor and it drove him spiritually, it drove him physically, it drove him emotionally like he had never been driven before. And He was achieving His highest and greatest potential on that day. And I stop and think this morning, church, we have One who died for us and we are called to live out our lives in His honor. And we're so quick to slip into mediocrity and not give our best to God today or tomorrow or the next day. And He's the One who gave His very life on a cross for my sin and for your sin. How dare we not give Him our best. Why are we so lacking in motivation? Why are we so quick to slip into mediocrity? My goal as a pastor, I like what Rick Warren does with the concentric circles, is to move people from the community to the crowd, but from the crowd to the congregation, from the congregation to the committed, and then from the committed to that core, those core disciples and leaders in the church. And so let me just be upfront and honest about my motivations. If you're part of the community, I want to see you become part of the crowd that gathers for worship. If you're part of the crowd, I want to see you move from that to being part of a congregation that gathers together on a regular basis. And then I want to see you move from that community, that congregation to be part of the committed to say, you know what, I'm sold out for the kingdom and I'm ready to begin serving. And then from that committed to the core, to where your leadership is beginning to invest in others and multiply. Don't get caught up. Listen, if you've come to a place where even the Apostle Paul was not willing to come, if you think about the book of Philippians where he says, not that I've arrived, but I'm pressing on. If you come to a place where you think, I am satisfied at this point, then you will begin to slide backwards. Don't lose your desire. If you're not moving toward being part of that core, then you're drifting toward lethargy. And you're drifted toward lukewarmness remember last week we saw the last time that the word church is used in the bible was when jesus addressed the church at laodicea but do you remember the message he says because you're not hot or cold but because you're lukewarm you make me want to spew you out of my mouth you make me want to throw up how dare we slip into lukewarmness and mediocrity have you lost your desire to win have you Have you lost the attitude of a champion when it comes to spiritual things? Let me give you the second key. It's a strategic direction. A strategic direction. This is the aim of a champion. You know, it's been said before, you can be as straight as a gun barrel theologically, but as empty as one spiritually. And that's true. But you can also be as dynamic as a powder keg Spiritually, but is misguided theologically. Paul had direction. He says, I can't be wasting any more of my time. Look at verse 26 in this text. Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly. I don't box like one who beats the air. He says, I'm not just shadow boxing, never done that before. I mean, every one of you guys that have ever watched the uh, Rocky movies or, or maybe sat through a Rocky marathon like I have before, you, know, you, you get out there and you do a little shadow boxing, and he says, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm landing my punches. I'm making everything count because I have direction in my life. I'm being very strategic with this. I referred to Philippians 3 a moment ago. That's where Paul says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was always up front to say, let me be very clear what I'm about here. Can people say the same thing about you? Can people look at your life and say, you know what, I know what they're all about. They want to bring God glory in everything that they do. They want to make Christ known in all that they do. They want to honor Him in everything that they do. Paul had clear direction He had this aim in his life, the aim of a champion. Not, hey, you know, eat, drink, and be happy for tomorrow we die. Not that country music attitude, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. But he had a target. What's your target in life? What's worthwhile? What's what's worth worth giving your time and energy? Or let me ask it this way what are you wasting your time and energy on? When are you shadow boxing? When are you wasting punches? When are you wasting energy in your life? You say, you know what? This this activity really isn't getting me down the road spiritually to where God's called me to be. So maybe we need to pull back in some areas. Sharpen our focus. Have that strategic direction. The aim of a champion. Matthew 6.33 We've made the theme of our last series in the study of Matthew's Gospel. Seek ye first what? Oh, was too quiet. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He'll take care of the rest. Those things that you get so worried about and frustrated about, and is this going to come together? Is that going to fall into place? Seek first the kingdom. He'll take care of the rest. John chapter 15 and verse 16. You know, we, a lot of times we come to a place in life where we say, man, I'm so glad that I have Jesus. But see, it's not that you have Jesus, it's that He has you. He says, you did not choose Me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you may go and bear fruit. He saved you for a fruitful life. For His purposes, for His glory. So many times we can waste our time doing so many things that don't really matter. There are several men in the church that have mentioned something to me that I've noticed myself. We look around this this uh, congregation this morning, and, and on any given Sunday, uh, and I say, "You yeah, know, we could put together a pretty good men's softball team." I mean, I mean, we really could. I I, I can kind of pick some out, and we could. Some, and, and I've had people say, "Well, why don't we have a uh, men's softball team?" And my response is, "Well, because we've had one before. I, I've been part of church league before. I, I've done all that thing." And I kid you not, and the folks who have been here at least you know, 13, 14, 15 years can testify to this. And no, it's not just because I tore my ACL playing softball. The first time I tore my ACL playing softball. The second time, it was playing basketball in the gym, and I still haven't stopped doing that. But, um, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that we got distracted from one guy. I thought it would be a great, wonderful ministry. And, and here's what happened. I, I told one of our teams, or I told both the teams, I said, let's get um, eight... Committed church members on each team. And then let's go out and get four people that don't know the Lord and we're going to try to win them. We're going to tell them they have to come to church to play on the team and all that. And uh, one of the teams did a little bit better job than the other uh, of getting lost guys who could hit the ball a country mile. But I'll tell you, we wanted to be a witness. We wanted to reach these guys. And, and I started getting hate mail from other churches because our team beat their team up too bad. and that bad. Or, or they knew that some of the guys we were trying to win to Christ, what they were doing on Friday nights. And they wrote to let me... Know about that. And I thought, well, this isn't working. Church League softball is just bringing about more division, taking away more of the pastor's time. And so I've told some guys recently, I'm like, man, well, yeah, we could probably put together a good softball team. Here's what we need to do. Pick out one of these weekend tournaments of an industrial league in Athens. Put together a team and go out there and and, and, and have a blast. But if it's, if it's going to bring frustration, if it's going to bring division, and possibly even a bad testimony, then we don't really have time for that. We just don't. If it's going to pull men away from coaching their boys where they need to be witnessing to their boys' friends, we don't really have, have time for all that. You see, sometimes in life, we have to look at things that could be good things that aren't the best things and say, we're, just like, we're shadowboxing. We're investing too much time and energy in things that don't really matter. So let's pull aside and, and let's do those things that matter and make a difference. When we are focused on bringing our kids and their friends to Christ. When we live on mission leading our neighbors, the nations, the next generation to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. Those are the things that matter most. you have direction in life? Are you shadow boxing? Are you running aimlessly? There's too many different directions. Here's the third key this morning. Spiritual discipline. Spiritual discipline. We uh, uh, spoke recently to our uh, juniors and seniors in high school about the importance of spiritual disciplines in their life. Verse 27. He says, Instead, I discipline my body. Bring it into subjection. Some... Translations there say, Buffet. Literally, it's I hit myself in the face. I I, I beat my face. Now, that was not ascetic torture. (laughs) The Bible uses hyperbole. When Jesus says, cut off your right hand or pluck out your right eye, He's saying, deal ruthlessly with sin in your life. And in this passage, Paul's not saying, okay, well, if you're struggling here, just take your fist and start pounding yourself beneath the eye in the Greek is what it's saying. It's not, he's not saying just just pound yourself in the face until you wake yourself up and come to your senses. Some of us are like that, right? We, we make some dumb decisions in life. We make some mistakes. We fall into that same sin again and we're just like, what was I thinking? <laughs> That's not what he's talking about here. It's a term from this, this realm of athletics where it's saying you go into such strict training you discipline your body. You put yourself sometimes through torture like an athlete to be at your very best. It's as if someone today would say, You know what? The coach killed us yesterday. Well, we don't look at them and say, Literally, really? You're dead? You're, you look alive to me? We know what they're talking about. The coach put them through something that was excruciating. That was, here's the key it was agonizing. Discipline means hard work. And we see that word agonize back in verse 25. In verse 25, when he talks, he uses that word compete there, or in some translations, strive for masteries. The word compete or strive. In, in the Greek, it's, it's where we get our word agony. It's agonizamai. It's we agonize painstakingly going through what we have to go through. Sometimes discipline is doing the right thing, whether you feel like it or not, because it is right and necessary to accomplish. God's call on your life. Saying, I discipline myself. I work hard. I compete. I strive. I give it all I've got. I exercise self-control. Or, as the NIV says, go into strict training. Vance Havner, in talking about vision one time, said, vision is not enough. Now, I'm all about vision. And you know, we need to have a vision for what God wants to do in and through us. We need to have a vision for our church. We need to have a vision for our family. We need to have a vision for our career. Th- those are things that we want to have a vision for, but Vance Havner said vision is not enough. He says it must be followed by venture. And he goes on to say this, it's not enough to stare up the steps. We must then step up the stairs. Isn't that great? It's, it's not enough to stare up the steps. We must then... Step up the stairs. There is a workout regimen for followers of Christ. We call them the spiritual disciplines. And if you're wondering this morning, why you're not experiencing spiritual victory, if you're not living victoriously today, ask yourself, how am I doing with discipline? How am I doing with the spiritual disciplines? Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Mark 135, being a great while before day, Jesus rose up, and went out to a solitary place and there he prayed. If Jesus had to get up early to get along with God, how important is prayer in our life? The spiritual discipline. How's your prayer life? Bible study. Are you spending time in God's Word on a regular basis? We need corporate Bible study where we come together as a body of Christ and receive God's Word but you need to spend time in God's Word alone with Him. Worship. Worship is a discipline corporately as we gather together. Not forsaking, as Hebrews says, the assembling of ourselves together. But worship is your life. Exalting Christ on a daily basis. Fellowship. Sharing life with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And last week I spoke of the importance of body life in the community of faith and our calling to the community of faith. Repentance of sin. Keeping short accounts with God when you know that thought or that action did not please God, confessing it quickly so that you move on. Practicing repentance as a lifestyle. Personal holiness in the pursuit of those things that please and honor Christ. So many people that enter in through faith, by grace through faith into the kingdom forget that God has now made you positionally holy. He's given your Holy Spirit and the Word of God that you might practically become who you already are positionally. Are you becoming more like Jesus in personal holiness? The spiritual discipline and witnessing to the lost. God did not save you for you to keep it to yourself. But that you might live victoriously and share the Gospel of Jesus Christ, that is a spiritual discipline. You don't always feel like it. You get a little bit nervous about it but you agonize over it. And it becomes a discipline in your life. Like a physical workout. We can't just be going through the motions. Motion, however, often precedes our feelings. Don't wait till you feel like... If you want to work out right, boy, I struggle with this one. If you want to start getting in shape, don't wait till you feel like it. Because you're never going to feel like it. I remember when I was in high school, the old weight room, Madison County. Those who are my age probably remember this. Backside of the old gym. Has that thing been condemned yet or not? Anybody know? Um, I remember that old weight room. It has... Thanks, Coach. <laughs> it was condemned by the coaches, right? <laughs> I remember that old weight room. There were two sides. You walk in to the backside of that gym. There was uh, upper body on, on the left, I believe, lower body on the right. And, and so the coach, whoever was teaching weightlifting would walk from one side to the other. And when I was a freshman, the seniors had learned the art of going through the motions. And they could fake it. And I know the coaches are aware of this. (laughs) But they could fake it. And so the coach would, would... Those of us doing an upper body workout, when the coach would come in, we're pumping iron. But then when the coach would walk over to the other side, I learned from those seniors what they would begin to do is just rattle the iron a little bit pick some weights up and drop it on the concrete floor a little bit and make a lot of grunting sounds. You know, ah, good job, one, two, three. You know, they're, making, they're counting, they're grunting, they're slamming weights around. The coach walks back in and then they pick the bar up and they start again. Some of us are like that. We want to go through the motions. We want to make people think that we're doing what it takes, but our lives are demonstrating. See, it probably showed up on the field that we weren't always doing what we were supposed to be doing. Our lives sometimes demonstrate that we're not practicing the spiritual disciplines like we should be. A lot of Christians are making noise, few are breaking sweat with spiritual disciplines. Now, I I thought that was a pretty good statement, so I'll say it again. A lot of Christians are making noise, but few are breaking sweat with the spiritual disciplines. Do you desire to win? Are you pointing in the right direction? If so, it's time that we discipline ourselves for victory. And then finally, number four here. There's a superior destiny. There is light at the end of this tunnel, right? There's a superior destiny. There's what I call the award of a champion. See, Paul, verse 27, had his eye on the prize. I disciplined my body, bringing it into... Subjection, I bring it under strict training, so that after I preach to others, I myself would not be disqualified from the prize. Has in mind here what verse 25 refers to as the the crown that will last forever. We call this the victor's crown sometimes. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control and everything, however, they do do it to receive a perishable crown. There are crowns in this life that just don't last. There are awards in this life that just do not last. He says we compete for one that will last forever. We don't work for our salvation, but when we are saved, our salvation is worked out in us toward the victor's crown. The Scripture mentions at least five crowns that we can be presented with in heaven one day. There's the soul winner's crown of rejoicing in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19 for those who were faithful in sharing their faith with the lost. There's the crown of life for those who persevere under trials. In James 1.12, Revelation 2.10, when we've encountered great trial, great temptation in our life, and we persevere and we come out victorious, there is that, that, that crown of life. And then there's a crown of righteousness for those who long for the coming and stay ready with, with one eye on the job, but one eye on heaven saying, Jesus could come back any day, and when He comes, I want to be found faithful. And so we have that to look forward to for those who are longing for His appearing, that crown of righteousness... For those who are serving as spiritual leaders, pastors, shepherds in the church, there's the shepherd's crown for those who stay faithful. 1 Peter 5.4 But here, there's the victor's crown for those who live a disciplined life in pursuit of God's call. When you understand, hey, God has saved me. He's got a call on my life. He's got a work for me to do. And we begin to experience the spiritual discipline we need because we've got the right aim and the right attitude He says, there is a crown, the victor's crown that's in store for us. And it's one that will last forever. Listen, we can receive a lot of crowns that will fade away. And if we're not careful, we will make that our highest pursuit. I've enjoyed over the past couple of days, if I checked out the posts on Facebook, I saw lots of kids getting lots of awards. Man, I commend parents and the kids for, for academic pursuits. That is a big deal. And so, make it a big deal. Celebrate with them all these awards for, for, for reading and, and writing and attendance and all of that. Celebrate that. Over the, the months and years, I've seen a lot of awards for athletics. Celebrate that with your kids. Uh, you know, the, all the kids, now that used to it was trophies, now they're all getting rings. And so I'm seeing all the rings. That's okay. Um, There are artistic awards, and I'm amazed at some of the talents and the artistic ability of some of our kids. And all that's wonderful, but let's put it in perspective, okay? And parents, let's keep it. Let's celebrate it, but parents, please, grandparents, let's also put it in perspective. You say, how do you do that? Do you belittle it? No, you make bigger the things of God you make much more of a celebration about righteous living, a consistent devotional life, prayer life, avoiding sin and shortcomings in their life. See, see, one thing that the children also need to understand, and our teenagers need to understand, and my kids have all kinds of plaques and awards, and I'm sure you've seen pictures of them on Facebook too, right? But listen, here's what I hope my kids and your kids and your grandkids understand. Underneath, at my parents' house, underneath, I guess they're still there. (laughs) My mom's nodding yes. Underneath the stairwell, going down to the basement, the dark, damp basement, right? Underneath the stairwell, shoved way back is a box somewhere with some trophies, some plaques from FFA, some honor pins, some awards. All of these achievements. What does the Bible say? They won't last forever. They won't last forever. And see, the perspective a kid needs to have is that's good for now. That's not the best thing for now. Because sometime for you high school, middle school students, I am so sorry if I'm busting your bubble right now. But Tina walked into her parents' house one day after we got married, and a wall full of ribbons that she had won doing equestrian was removed. And the ribbons were gone and boxed up and put out in a dilapidated old barn. And it broke her heart. Ribbons were all boxed up and gone. Those are wonderful crowns if held in perspective. But when we are spending time in prayer, And in the Word of God, living righteously. Resisting temptation when it comes your way. Saying, I want my life to count for time and eternity. And we're sharing our faith with the lost and serving Christ and living a life on mission and helping people come to know that you can know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. You can seek first the Kingdom of God. Then you will receive those crowns that will last forever. That will not be pushed under a stairwell somewhere. You're saying, oh, you mean when we get to heaven we're going to walk around and strut with that? We're going to brag about how, what a spiritual champion we were. Look at me, man. I live for Jesus. Aren't you proud? That's not it. That's not it at all. See, in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 10, I believe, Dr. Phillips, this is the Old Testament and New Testament saints, the 24 elders represented by the tribes of Israel and the apostles there. I believe that those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and received those crowns, that there will come a day where we'll be so overwhelmed in an act of worship around the throne of God in heaven that we'll fall on our face and we'll lay our crowns at His feet. And we'll say, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. And on that day, all these other things that didn't matter will have already been burned up. Paul told the church at Corinth that their wood, hay, and stubble. They're going to be burned up. Those things that we invested in the kingdom when we sought first the kingdom of God, when we were a champion for Christ. Those crowns, that's what we lay at the feet of the One who died to redeem us. We'll say throughout eternity, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. I want to have something. I want to have something to lay at His feet on that day. I want to have something to lay at His feet and I want to have something that I left for future generations. What about you? What about you? Do you have the attitude of a champion? What about the aim? Do you need to sharpen the focus a little bit? Where it should be? What about the agony? Are you willing to agonize for His glory? If so, look for the award of a champion. Not so you can strut through heaven one day, counting your jewels on your crown, but so that in brokenness and humility, You can say, Jesus, I did this because You're worthy. I was running. Listen, I was running in honor of One who died for me, but also who rose again and sent His Spirit to live inside me to empower me to run. Would you bow your heads with me?